Uh, welcome, my name is David. I am the pastor here at Redeemer. And uh, today we kick off a series called uh, Correcting Christian Cliché. And uh, this is a series that actually I've been wanting to do for a while, but it's where we're going to engage some of the things that people say, some of the things that Christians say that, uh, that are oftentimes well-intended, but not always helpful, and sometimes are not even accurate. Um, uh, and, and, and so uh, we are going to tackle the first one of those this morning, which is a little different from the other ones, uh, and... Uh, And I'll just go ahead and let the video roll and introduce it to you in that way. Oh, hello. Recently, there have been some rumors that suggest the church is only after your money. Correctamundo. Since we've been outed, we figured we'd let you in on some things we've been keeping under wraps for a while. Ever wonder why our greeters are so excited to see you? It's because they're all equipped with New Spring X-ray contacts. Welcome to New Spring! so we can know exactly how much is in those purses of yours. Cha-ching! This is just the beginning, my friends. We love it when you stop by for ownership class. And when we say ownership, we really mean ownership. When it's all over, we'll own your car, your house, your dog Scruffy. Oh, and if you have a firstborn, we'll take that too. In an effort to invest in the next generation, We've created our own cloning center. How else do you think we're gonna reach 100,000? So yes, the church does just want your money, but don't worry, it'll be safe with us. All right. Okay, so the first one is uh, the church just wants your money. Anybody heard that before? Anybody said that before? uh, th- that video was done by a church in South Carolina called New Spring, as you probably figured out, that has done some, some bold things. And I, I actually really uh, appreciated the boldness uh, in that video um, because, you know, they really brought out into the open that thing that is often said uh, about, about churches, about some churches, that churches just want people's money, but the church doesn't get a chance to really respond to, usually to have a conversation about. And, and so what this video basically did was ask the question, what would that look like if the church was just after your money, you know? And, um, and I think my favorite part was when the baby got stamped, right? That was, that was a good one. And, you know, there are uh, some legitimate reasons people uh, say this, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But the other thing that I think is helpful in us engaging this, this saying that, that people say this morning is that it also gives us an opportunity to do something we actually have not done ever in two years of, of, of church here at, at Redeemer. And that's to, to actually just talk simply about how money works in, in a church. And, uh, and you may not realize this, but in two years, I have never preached a message directly on money. Um, and uh, I want to say you're welcome. Uh, but um, but uh, I, I, I've never done the money sermon that, that some of us grew up hearing. And I don't know that I'm ever going to, to do it in that way. Um, I, I, I do want to point out, we have talked about money here at church. Uh, every time we open up the Bible and Jesus talks about it or it's in the Scripture, we engage it because we try to understand the Bible. We're trying to live our faith through, through the Scripture. Uh, also, every Sunday, um, we ask people to give to support the ministry of this church. And, and those are important things.
things we do, but we haven't really talked about how many works in a church before. And something that has really actually become very apparent to me is that, um, is that not all of us uh, really know uh, how it works. Uh, I've gotten some questions over the last two years uh, that are honest, that are good questions um, of people who have not grown up in the church, who, who really have never been an adult in the church, who haven't really understood these things and really would like to know. And let me say, there are no secrets about money in the church. We are an open book. Anything you want to know, you're welcome to know. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I, I think that um, we, we need to do some educating uh, because I, I, I think what I've come to realize is that for a lot of folks, the church kind of seems like, um, especially if they haven't been a part of it before, a little bit like the public library, right? Um, it's open, uh, it's kind of there, and it will freely serve anybody who walks in the door, right? And the church is exactly like that, and it's going to exist. It existed before you started giving to the church, and so won't it exist afterwards, right? And, uh, and, and, and you know, there are some similarities, but th- that also tells me that there is some educating that needs to be to be done because people have asked me, how do we pay for all this, right? Uh, where do the resources come from? Where did they come from when we started Redeemer? How did we get going? How do, how do we pay for the staff and the programming that run the ministries that's so critical? And so I, I, I think this morning we just have another opportunity to talk about that and um, how many works in a church. And then more importantly, I think, to get to the bottom of what the church actually wants. And let me just be clear, it is not your money. Um, and we're, we're going to talk about that uh, as we open up the scripture. We're going to look at uh, a verse from 2 Corinthians that I think is really helpful here, especially when you understand its context. Uh, but for now, um, why don't we go ahead and as we always do, let's pray before we hear God's word. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for this opportunity to, 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 again, come before you on Sunday morning to, to think about um, some things theologically. Uh, to, to ask where our hearts are, to understand where your heart is. And Lord, I just pray that um, as we talk and the two come together, Lord, you just continue to do the work that you're doing in our lives and through this church. And we pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. True story. Uh, there was a pastor of a very large church who was at the gym working out. And uh, while he was there, there were two guys kind of over at the side talking and coincidentally talking about his church. And, and specifically, he overheard them talking about how big that church was, and these guys couldn't believe it. They just could not understand why that many people would ever come to a church. They drove by the parking lot and just didn't get it. And one guy was saying, I don't get it. And the other guy, uh, this is what his response to him was. He said, uh, yeah, that many people at a church, they must be giving out free beer at that church, right? <laughs> and that's how it worked, right? And he, he, was, he was serious. Like, this, this was the explanation for why that many people would be at, at a church in his mind. And I, I really like that story, not only because it's, it's funny, but also because I think from the get-go, it, it, it helps us see that sometimes uh, folks who are outside of the church and really don't understand what the church is about, uh, can, can kind of make a surface-level explanation of things, right? It must be beer, right? Nothing deeper, nothing about Jesus or about the community and transformation or service like, like beer, right? That's what get, would get me somewhere. That was, must get all those people somewhere, right? And, and when it comes to our saying, the church just wants your money, 
I honestly think that a good number of times that people say this, uh, a similar thing is, is happening. People know that the church asks for money. They don't really understand the gospel and how the church is, is an essential part of it. And so they make a snap judgment. And, and, it, and it is, honestly, a little bit ignorant. And it is a little bit surface level. And, uh, and they just don't know what else could be the cause of it, right? They, they say, so simply, the church just wants your money. And, um, you know, there isn't really that much to do uh, other than engage one of those people in a conversation. And people are going to have those kind of snap level understandings of things. And, you know, it is what it is. But I, I think what we really do need to do is to try to, to dig down and understand when people are saying this and they have more legitimate reasons for saying it. Why, what are the real good reasons that people say the church just wants your money? And, and I want to share what I think is probably the primary one. Um, I don't know if any of you all saw this, um, but last year, uh, John Oliver did something on last week uh, tonight. Um, and if you don't know who John Oliver is, he is a, uh, he's a really funny Englishman uh, who's a little bit crude uh, and uh, who does every week this kind of show where he'll talk about something happening in the world. Um, and, uh, and what he did uh, on that show was he talked about an experience he had with money and the church. And, uh, and, and Oliver actually was careful to make the distinction at the beginning that he said, not all churches are like this, uh, but I do want to share with you an experience that I have because I have a bone to pick with certain churches who, and I quote him here, exploit people's faith for monetary gain. As the program went on, what it became clear is, and Oliver recognized himself, is that he was referring to modern televangelists and uh, the prosperity gospel. And just so I can be clear to try to identify that for you guys, uh, the prosperity gospel is this strain that, that tries to be Christian but is not. It's a very unbiblical idea that every time uh, we receive riches or wealth, it is a sign of God's favor and blessing. And the way that this, this thing works is you are encouraged uh, as an act of faith to give like a seed of money to God in some way, and the promise is that it will be given back to you in even greater wealth. And this is how the prosperity gospel turns, and it, it is, it is uh, not helpful. It's very unbiblical, and, uh, and, and it, it, it presents itself to a lot of people as the church. And so Oliver engaged these people. What he did is he went and watched one of these programs of a particular televangelist, and when the televangelist asked for money, Oliver did exactly what he asked him to do. And so what he, he did on the show is he let us into see the correspondence that he had with this guy for the last seven months, which was a stack of like 26 letters that had gone back and forth with this televangelist. And, uh, and, and, and basically, just to summarize it, as Oliver did, uh, all those letters were, were just the televangelists asking for more and more money in stranger and stranger and stranger ways. Like, he sent uh, John Oliver a dollar and said, this is for you, and then said, give it back to me with more money. You know, he, he, um, he sent him, like, these prayer cloths and had him do something weird. He sent him a piece of paper with an outline of his foot on it, and then he asked John Oliver to trace his foot inside of it and send it back with 
more money, right? And this was how all these letters work. And what became very clear is that it was a scam. Like, this was a total, absolute scam. And, uh, and all this televangelist wanted was John Oliver's money. And, and, and when, uh, what I think is important for us to remember who do love Jesus, who, who do get the church, is that people on the outside aren't always able to see the difference and make the distinction and see the nuance in this thing. They don't see the difference between a Christ-centered, Jesus-loving, uh, people-serving church and that, that trash, you know? And, uh, and so, if that's what you're seeing, if that's your idea of the church— I think it's very reasonable to say the church just wants your money, right? Because actually that is what those guys do want, and it is a scam, and, and it's bad news. And, uh, and, and honestly, it, it really hurts my heart that we, that, 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 like we have to, that that's a reality, that, that people misrepresent the church in that way. And I'm sure it does for many of you guys as well. Now, those are two reasons for people outside of the church saying the church just wants your money. But I, I do think that sometimes uh, there are folks who are inside the church, who love Jesus, who do understand the gospel, um, and, and at the same time get this feeling like the church, man, they just want my money sometimes. And I really think we ought to listen to those people. I think that's really uh, important to understand where that comes from. And there are, there are a lot of different places, but I would my, my assessment and understanding of that is that more often than not, uh, what is happening is that the church is communicating poorly about about money and, and why we ask for it in the church. And more specifically, the way we do that is by communicating and try to give people out of guilt. We, we try to com- compel people, uh, church leaders, when we are not at our best, try to compel people to give out of guilt. And um, the reason for that is that guilt is a strong motivator. It's a really strong motivator. It works. Uh, trying to motivate somebody out of guilt is, I think, something that um, all of us do very naturally. I don't think anybody had to teach us how to do that. Um, in fact, just yesterday, my three sons who wanted to play their tablets were trying to motivate me to let them do that out of guilt. Dad, we haven't done it. You said we could. You're busy. You need to let us play the tablets. I mean, just over and over again. Um, and, and it was guilt. And in their defense, uh, as a parent, I will admit, there are times when I have tried to motivate my own sons out of guilt, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and, and actually, what comes to mind here uh, to try to help us understand that and what we feel in it is an experience that I bet a lot of us can relate to uh, growing up where we experience guilt as motivation. It's this one. Imagine like you're eight years old, you're a kid, and you sit down at the dinner table to eat with your family. And, uh, and mom has made a home-cooked meal, homemade mac and cheese, uh, pork chops, and she had a can of lima beans in the, in the you know, pantry, and she put butter on them and on the plate, right? And so that's dinner, and, uh, you know, you, you ate the mac and cheese even though it wasn't the good stuff that Kraft makes. And, uh, <laughs> and you tried the pork chop, but it was dry and not seasoned, and those lima beans, uh, when I was eight-year-old, there was nothing worse in the world than lima beans. Uh, and, and so you're not eating them. And, uh, and even though you're not willing 
to, even though you are willing to give up dessert to not eat them, an hour later, you're still sitting at the table. At least this was my experience as a kid. And the dishes were done, and my parents were super frustrated with me. And so they were like, David, you, uh, what they would do is they'd try to get me to eat those lima beans by helping me see a bigger picture. And so my folks would say something like this, David, you are so lucky to have a home-cooked meal that's healthy. And then, right, you guys see, it came up, right? How many of your parents said this, right? There are starving kids in Africa who would love to eat lima beans, right? Yeah, yeah. How many of y'all have said that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is motivation via guilt, right? Okay, and um, and it, it's really uh, it, it's it's really funny because I realized as an adult what mom and dad were saying to me is that, David, you better eat those beans, you little spoiled twerp, when they said they're starving kids in Africa. <laughs> uh, but but he, here's where I think that's relatable to what we're talking about this morning. I think when, when we as churches are not at our best, and, and particularly if a leader for some reason is frustrated, uh, this is where we can stop the way that where we motivate people to give. We, we kind of... Uh, end up just focusing on the guilt of giving. And, and it, it just has a limited power to actually change people's behavior. It, it doesn't help us see the, the bigger picture of why giving is important and actually the blessing of generosity of how good it is to actually be able to give and to learn how to give. Um, and, and instead, we just focus there on, on, on that guilt piece. And, and just to illustrate why it has a limited power to, to, to motivate us to give, let me ask you this question. Uh, when your parents told you there were starving kids in Africa, did it make you want to eat that food anymore? No. Like, those lima beans still tasted like green torture. And, um, and, and it may have felt me guilty enough to do it just for a moment, but it never really helped me see uh, the bigger picture. And I guess in that case, it would have been that lima beans were some sort of superfood <laughs> that was going to save my life or something. But, um, but, 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 this is, this is the problem with guilt. It just doesn't get us where we need to be. And here's the other thing that it does. It actually raises our defenses. Um, you know, the very natural reaction we have is, is to put up our, our defenses and try to justify our actions. Uh, if someone says, says to us, you know, isn't it selfish for you to eat steak and to drive two cars when there are people starving in the world, right? You, you might feel guilty for a moment, but this is what I think you're, you're then likely to do. You're likely to think, well, how can I help it that I was born in America? And what, what good is it going to be for me to drive one less car uh, when there's, with a starvation issue, right? Like, we're, we'll try to defend ourselves, and maybe we even might start attacking the motivations of those who are asking us, right? Uh, if they're telling us not to eat steak, we're like, well, what, do you work for the chicken industry or something, right? Didn't Chick-fil-A run a campaign on that idea, kind of, right? Um, but that, that, that's what happens is, is we, we put up our defenses, and I would even think that maybe this is why, because people have felt unnecessary guilt, the reason for some of the reasons we say this saying, the church just wants your money, okay? So, so those are some reasons why people, why people say this, why this saying exists. Um, but I, I think what, what we really need to do is, is, is to, to flip this a little bit and say what is actually at the heart of why the church asks us to give right, of why God asks us to give. If the church doesn't just want our money, what is it that the church actually wants, right? I think that is the key question, and, and so let me answer it as simply and as clearly 
as I know how. Here's what the church wants. What the church wants is for you to experience transformation through faith in Jesus Christ. What the church wants is for you to be transformed. That's what the church wants. That's what we want. And, uh, and, and there is nothing more that we want, nothing less that we want than for you to know new life in Jesus. I want to share with you guys now the scripture that we're going to just engage this morning. 2 Corinthians 5.17. And, uh, and it, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Let me just read that for you one more time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Uh, I wanna, I, I'm not going to do as deep a dive as we usually do on, when, we, when we're working through a, a scripture, but I do want to give you some context But I think because I think it's really relevant. Um, this is said by Paul, the apostle, who was one of the folks who traveled around the early church and planted churches. What he did was he started churches and got them going and rolling. And, uh, and, and what is happening in this passage in 2 Corinthians 5 is there are actually people who don't really understand why he's doing what he's doing. And in fact, they're not fully trusting of the motivations. And we see that because of things that he's responding to. Like some people are saying that Paul is, and it's quoted in the Bible, out of his mind. He is doing things that they don't understand and they don't understand why. And what he is trying to do in this passage is explain why he's doing what he's doing. Be really clear about it. And so this is what he says. I am here because there is a new creation that has come when your life is in Christ. The old has gone, the new is here. A little later in verse 20, he says it so clearly. We implore you on, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what he's here for, that people would be reconciled to God, that they would step into that new relationship because when you're reconciled in God, you are new in Christ. You experience the transformation. Uh, the new creation comes. The old is gone. And, and just so I can just help you guys see the depth of that a little, that verse 517, what we believe as Christians is that when, when we have this relationship with Jesus, we really are transformed. Like, th that's what this language of new creation is about. There is something that God does in our lives that is new, that's different, that's created in, in a different way than the way we have lived before. And instead of living then in the old ways, the old that is gone, those things died with Jesus in his death. They were buried in the tomb with Jesus. And then as Christians, the understanding is that we rise again, just like we come up out of the waters of baptism, as Jesus came up out of the tomb into new resurrected life. And, and, and so that change is transformative. It happens once, and then for the rest of our lives, day by day, we follow Jesus to, to become brand new people. And, 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 and as we do that, as a part of a church, what we experience is an entirely new, beautiful life right? It's, it's a beautiful, precious truth that Paul's after here, something that I think so many of us here know to be true and, and have experienced the way that God can make us new day by day and has done it in fantastic ways. And, and that is what we are after as a church, 
We believe there is a greater life found in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we want all people to know that life. That's our mission statement. We say it every Sunday. Mary Lee says it at the beginning of her little welcome talk that she does, and, uh, and we say it because we want you to know why we exist, why we're here, what we're coming here to do. That's what the church wants. We want people to know a new relationship with Jesus. Everything we do works towards that mission. And, uh, and everything we do tries to connect people to different parts of the transformed life. And I just, I just want to spell out a couple of places where we really care about that happening in, in your life and in, in everybody who becomes a part of that here. One of the places we want you to experience transformation is in your mind, is in the way that you see and you think and you understand the world. Romans 12, 12 says this, what I think is one of the most important verses uh, in the New Testament. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the, by, by the renewing of your mind. And, and what Paul is doing is saying that there are patterns that we have lived in as part of this world. There are patterns that have been a part of our lives. But through the, the, the changing of our minds, the transformation of our minds, we, we become new people who, who see the world the way God sees it. And the next part of the verse says, so you can discern what is pleasing and good and right in, in the eyes of God. And, and that's what you're after. And the way that that happens in the church and why, uh, man, this is so important is, is actually through the hearing of God's word in the Bible. Every Sunday, we open up the Bible so that we can, we can work to transform our minds, to see the world as God sees it, to understand ourselves as God sees us, and, 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 and to do the, the work of transformation that begins in our minds. Um, another place we want you to experience transformation, uh, and, and I'm so thankful to see happening here, is in our families right? Um, there is really a greater life that we can experience in all elements of family. Like, I, I want people to have transformed marriages, to know how good it is to, to, to be in a marriage where there is a common foundation through faith in Jesus. How, that, 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 that is so transformative for a relationship that people have, to be seeking after God together, to know some of these precious truths like grace in a marriage. Man, that will absolutely change the game for your marriage, to be able to give each other grace. Forgiveness in a marriage, knowing that this marriage is not just about you guys, but about a purpose bigger, that it reflects God and, and the church, uh, th that those are really important things, and, uh, and we want that for you. We want you to know how good it can be to, to have a marriage that, that's built on a foundation of faith. We also want you to have uh, uh, kids that, that are transformed by the gospel. We want to raise the next generation in faith. We want to take these kids, that we and, and we really have a unique opportunity here at this place with children to, to really anchor them in the unconditional love of God and then help them to become the men and women of God that they were created to be, to, to, to work through all the junk that they're going to go through that I am terrified about as a parent, to be honest with you guys, um, uh, but to give them an anchor and a place where they can discern and work through it and have relationships with adults that will be healthy and to be able to see God work and transform in their lives as they allow God to do that themselves. I think about our third grade class that is like, I don't know, 30 kids, something ridiculous, maybe, maybe 20, I, I don't know, but how in, in, gosh, what is it, 
10 years, we're, they're, they're going to be able to stand up here uh, on, on a graduation day, and we're just going to be able to look and celebrate all the work that God has done in their lives, forming and shaping them to, to know Jesus. That's what we're after, to transform these kids so that we can set them up for success following Jesus. You know, just one other place where we want you to experience transformation is in friendships. It's in friendships. We have friends. You know, it's nothing to, to, to it's not nothing, but everybody in the world has friends. It's a basic human need, but there's something different about friendships where faith is at a foundation of them. In Acts 2, when the scriptures describe the early church, one of the things it says about the church is, is how, um, how uh, they all were of one mind and had everything in common. And that doesn't mean like everything was exactly the same. They were all, uh, you know, thinking the same thoughts. There was diversity. You see that if you study the early church. But what it's saying is that they all had this common goal that they worked towards and believed in. And, and it created this depth of relationship that, that nobody had ever seen before. I mean, that, that was what was incredible about the early church. And, and that's what we're after. We are committed to relational work as a church, to, 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 to do the work to be real and honest and open and authentic so that the depth of relationship can come and we can experience the richness that God truly offers us in having good friends, right? Um, and, you know, there are so many other places that we want people to experience transformation as a church that we work towards, but uh, I, I, I don't have time to get into it, and, and I really need to address this question so where does money come in in all this, right? How, how, how does money work? Where, why does the church ask for money? And maybe this is very self-evident at this point, but let me just be really clear. Money enables the mission, right? The transformation that we're after, uh, giving enables that to happen through the ministries of the church. We ask for money because we are committed to the mission of transforming people to a greater life in Jesus. It's that simple. That's, that's why uh, the church wants uh, to, to be able to fund the ministry. We ask for money to fund the ministry. And it's also very similar where money comes from in a church. Very, very simple, right? Uh, people have asked me how I have gotten paid, how we pay the staff, how do we pay for electricity, what about flood insurance that we, that we're, that we have, thankfully now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, those are really good questions. And uh, when we got started, actually, there was some complexity there because uh, for the last couple of years, I was actually supported by the Greater Methodist Church, and there has been some support. But all that is over now, and, uh, and it's a very simple answer. The way that we support the ministries of the church is through the giving of the people who are part of the church right? It's that simple. There, just like there isn't at your house a money tree in the back, I was walking back there and I didn't see any trees with money growing on them. We, we, we exist solely through the giving of the people who are a part of this church, and I'm just so thankful for the people who have given uh, so far and enabled it. And let me just give some detail that I've never given before, because I think it's important. I think it's, it's important to understand this. Um, what does it cost to run Redeemer? Uh, in 2018, our annual budget was $425,000. It's actually a significant budget. It's a good budget. Um, it, it is a little bit bigger than churches typically are at two years, but we are much bigger than churches typically are at two years, and we have a building. We had two buildings that we needed to support right from the get-go. Um, and, uh, and to run this place then for one week if you just do the math, the average cost to, to, to operate, to do what we're doing now, is it's about 
8300 bucks every week. That's no insignificant amount of money. Um, now what you may be wondering is, well, what is our giving? How much do we receive? And, uh, and let me just give you that figure. Our giving at the end of the year is projected to be about $330,000. And before your eyebrows shoot up, I'll talk to you guys in a moment who are wondering about the difference there. Uh, I want to point out that is not bad at all for a church that just celebrated its second birthday. It's actually excellent. And, uh, and I am so thankful, again, for all of you guys that give and continue to live faithfully to keep enabling things to happen. Now... Uh, some of y'all did some pretty quick math, right? And figured there's, there's a difference there. So, so how, how are we doing it? Let me call for your nerves a little bit. Because we did this, Redeemer is one church with First United Methodist Pearland. We went into this knowing that we were going to have to make some budget adjustments on the whole to be able to do what we needed to do and wanted to do. And really, the ministry demanded that we do down here. And, uh, and, and so this part of our church in Pearland that has given so sacrificially and wonderfully to, to help us start um, and to help is, is helping us continue as, as we move forward. And, uh, and, and we also did not expect, just to be clear, for Redeemer to support itself uh, right away. Just like you don't expect a baby to support itself when it's one or two or uh, five or 15, likewise, you don't expect a church to be able to fully fund itself when it's one, two, three respective ages, right? Um, but uh, what is clear, and as you guys can see, is that moving forward, we are going to have to increase our, our giving as a church. Uh, we, we're going to have to grow in generosity as individuals and, and as a community. And, uh, and what that means is all of us are going to have to just, just respond to that exactly where we are. And so many of us who have not really yet given... I'm asking you to, to start. I'm asking you to, to pray about and to think about how you can start supporting the ministries of this church. Uh, some of us who have just given like sporadically, you know, when you're here or uh, here and there, I, I'd ask you to consider how you could be more regular and faithful. Uh, honestly, uh, it is really the regular faithful giving that, that enables us to do the regular consistent ministry that we really need to do and to plan. And, and that is so important and we really depend on it. And I'm so thankful for it. I know a lot of you guys uh, do give, and I just want to say, firstly, I'm so thankful for that, but many of you guys would like to give more, and, and we are going to have to be able to do that. I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to, to think and pray about how you can do that, and if you can, please do it, uh, because we're, we're going to need it as we move forward. And, and finally, there are, there are a, a good number of people who, who give sacrificially, faithfully, who tithe. And I just want to say thank you to you guys. If, if we didn't have those people, we could not exist as, as a church. And, and you guys should be, I'm just so thankful and just asking you to continue. Um, but in all this, what, what I want you guys to hear more than anything is that uh, we can do this. What I am fully convinced of is that we will get there and that, uh, and that as we grow in generosity, 
uh, there's going to be so many amazing things that happen in, in, in our church. Like, I'm not excited so much about, like, being able to, to meet our budget as I am what is going to be possible as we become and continue to be a generous church uh, in the work of transforming lives and connecting people to greater life in Jesus. There are so many good things that have happened, that are happening, that will happen in your life uh, and people's lives who are not even here yet. And we, we just have this incredible blessing of being a part of a church where we get to see that happen. And I hope that you take joy in it, and I hope, I pray that you'll give to be a part of it. And I, would, would you guys pray with me now? Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you um, for all you've done in our church and all the ways that you support um, the ministry of this place. Lord, you are so good to us, and you have been so faithful and I, I just pray that we would continue to be faithful in what you're calling us to do, that we would move forward, that we, we would give generously, Lord, and, uh, and, and Lord, we would, we would just see the transformation that you desire or you make us new uh, in the lives of so many people here. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.